story of Noah is one of a new order emerging after a consuming evil is cleansed. In the time of Noah's call, evil had reproduced to the point that it controlled all the thinking of the earth without end. It had stormed the gates of heaven and blotted out the line separating the upper domain from the earth below. All of humanity could think of nothing. Their imagination carried nothing with it except for thoughts on how they could perpetuate more sin. Sin was the only thing dwelling in the human mind, and God desired a life raft for his creation, which was not just people, but for all of creation. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and here with me in the studio is... Pastor Anthony Allegria. And today, we're going to begin talking about the story of Noah and the morality that is built within this and just where this story fits into the broader picture. This is an interesting story, and there's a lot of different ways that people can take it. Sometimes people kind of water it down to a simple children's story that's not taken very serious. Others look at it and realize that this is a very hardcore message where a massive cleansing is taking place. But at the same time, there is a very important message from this that we should take in care and we should be careful in looking at. By the events of Genesis 6, the hearts of humanity can imagine nothing but sin and therefore are already on the course to total destruction and total death prior to the flood. But sin did not stop at dooming humanity. And this is something which is really important to emphasize. Prior to the flood, or even the thought of the flood, humanity is sinning continually, and their thoughts of their mind are continually oriented towards sin. It's sort of like this cosmic entropy, which is going more and more towards destruction, and this sort of death is one of eternal decay that separates people more and more from God and gets more and more disorganized. Sin is something that taints the world. It turns victims into perpetrators, and it will carry the innocent to a state of misery along with those who are guilty. The innocent and the guilty are unfortunate companions living in the effects of sin. And this is not something God wants. Moreover, God wants moral order for humanity, and he also desires that all of creation will have order, that all of it can be moved towards a holiness which he intended for it. God desires redemption for all creation. And this redemption is one that includes animals and even the less conscious aspects of creation. And just to just make sure that we're kind of bringing things together. This is something we're not going to talk a whole lot about, but it will come up later in this message, is a lot of times people ask the question, do dogs go to heaven? Now, this isn't something which is directly addressed in the text of Noah, but it is something which we find when God looks at the world around him, he sees that animals, they have fallen. They have become wallowed up. They have been swallowed. They're, they're mired in the same way that humanity is. Sin has effects which affects those around. Sin is not just a, a personal problem that you have with, with your spiritual life. It is something which actually affects the world around you. And God wants redemption for animals as much as he does for humanity. And that's something we find in the story. God does not want this endless and eternal decay. So the question of do dogs go to heaven, we'll come back to that towards the end of this. All right, so getting into the text and looking at the context around the story of Noah, we know that from everything we've learned in Genesis that the consequences of sin, well, they're death. A slow, enduring death, a decay that endlessly takes one further and further away from God. And by the time of Noah, the world had become so full of sin, the only thing that people could imagine was sin. This was all that pondered in their mind. The, the text quite literally says that, and we'll be reading the scripture here in a moment. Now, this put people on a course for total destruction long before the flood. The earth was already going this way. And when God looked at the situation, he wanted a controlled cleansing where he could supply creation with a vessel of escape, 
quite literally, this arc is an arc of escape from the swallowing sin, which is now moved to a cosmic outlook. In the beginning of Genesis 6, we're reminded that sin is no longer just something looking at a few people. It is a predatory animal that is capable of, well, blurring the lines between heaven above and earth below. It has a cosmic outlook. And the story of Noah it follows the swelling of sin, which is like the consuming bodies of water that will rise up towards the heaven. Evil, at the time of Noah, has grown to the point that it is reaching for heaven. This is unmistakably found in the text. In the first four verses of Genesis is where we find these lines of heaven and earth being obscured. The line between humanity and heavenly beings is being confused. This is the place where all the ancient alien people they'll point to and say, Ah, look, there is some, some evidence here for something unnatural. And, well, honestly, it is unnatural. The best theological way of looking at this is that the lines of heaven are blurred because evil is reaching up for heaven itself. Sin is taking the world back to the void, and it's doing this quite literally. The void is depicted by chaotic waters in Genesis 1, and there is no order and no goodness. It is dark and violent, and now sin has affected the world in such a way that the world again is returning to this state of water, where there is no order. But God, he looks at this and says, if I bring a flood, I can restore things to order. If I step in before this entropy takes its full effect, I can do something to bring order. All right. Anthony, if you would start reading for us, let's take a look at the text of Genesis 6 and begin in verse 5. Would you read for us verses 5 through 8? The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. In these few verses, God examines the hearts of the world and he finds that humanity is bent towards wickedness to the point that that is all they can do. There is no end in sight for this. And now in our world today, again, we look at things in the lens of 2019 and we, we can't hardly Imagine what is going on in this text. Many people say, well, oh, it's just God wanting to bring an arbitrary judgment. You know, there is sin throughout the world. There is sin throughout the Bible. Why does he bring the flood here? But the text tells us that they are continually bent towards sin. And this word that is translated as continually is of the utmost importance because it's telling us that the hearts of humanity will consider nothing but sin. Nothing else is even within their range of consideration. Evil, it is only interested in perpetuating itself. <clears throat> and this is one of the things which is so interesting about evil is it tends to reproduce by making victims of itself and then those victims going on to being perpetrators. Our modern world kind of teaches us the idea that if someone is a victim of something, they would never perpetrate it. It's not true. One of the most unfortunate things is that a lot of times people who are victims of things actually go on to be perpetrators of the very same sins, the same wickedness, the same crimes. Unfortunately, this is one of the ways that wickedness likes to reproduce. It turns people who are legitimate victims into serious perpetrators, and it dooms them, and it spreads, and it grows, and it gets more powerful. This is what has doomed the world in Genesis 6. Anthony, would you pick up again for us in Genesis 6 and read 11 through 22? Well, we'll say before we move on to that, um, this sort of reminds me of the curse that would be put on anybody who murdered Cain. They would be punished you know, uh, seven times over yeah. for what they received or for what they did. 
And I think that in many ways that reflects the consequences of sin that we're seeing take place in the story of Noah. Well, you know, one of the questions I had when reading that the this punishment would be sevenfold for those who committed acts against Cain, the same that he committed on others, is you have to wonder, has the evil also grown sevenfold? Because by the time you get here to Genesis 6, it's more than sevenfold. I mean, you get those opening verses where the, the sons of God are, are coming down to the daughters of man. You see that the line between the heavenly host, which is really a better translation for sons of God, which because to keep people from confusing this from, you know, the son of God, but these heavenly beings, they're coming down, they're intertwining with humanity. They've got some sort of new half-breed species. It's all crazy. Something you don't see a lot in scripture. And God looks at it and says, this is not the intended order. Things, things are really confusing. They're really bad. But the evil, it has grown. It seems like it's more than sevenfold, but then again, it's probably a lot more than just somebody acting against Cain. It's more than a singular act like that. It has grown immensely. I guess it becomes seven by seven by seven. But um, would you like me to pick up in the verses? Yeah, let's go ahead and read those that scripture. All right. Genesis 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its width, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and make a door for the ark in its side. Make it with the lower and second and third decks. For my part, I am going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every kind shall come in to you, to keep them alive. Also take with you of every kind of food that is eaten, and store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. God is pained by the destruction of the world. Evil has become a disease that has infected everything. I think you read a little bit further yeah, no, into some it's notes, in the but you're good. Print. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's the fun of having having notes. But um, what we see happening here is is God comes and He sees the world has got continually wrapped up in sin, and and every time I read this, I, I'm perplexed by the fact that it says all flesh. And all that seems like a small thing. And a lot of scholars, they'll come to this and they'll, they'll debate it. They'll say, well, this word, it is not exclusive to humanity. It certainly can include animal life. But others will say, well, God doesn't give such clear moral instructions to animal life. So how could it? But the reality of it is, is all flesh. This word is not exclusive to humanity. Though the question of how much guilt you could put to all flesh is, is a little bit debatable. But God is concerned that all flesh has been corrupted. And this is one of the things which is so sad about how evil works. 
Evil can swell to the point where even those which are innocent, they get carried along. They're unfortunate companions. They've been taken along on a ride they did not want to go to, and they can be corrupted by it. That's one of the things which is built into the story. Animal life, which is certainly something which has more reasoning skills than, say, plant life or, or rocks. I mean, we often make jokes about, you know, something as dumb as a rock. It might as well be a rock if you've got a computer acting bad. You know, it's basically a paperweight. We realize that things that are not animals, um, they don't really have much reasoning skill. Now, people have a lot more reasoning skill than animals, but, you know, animals, they can do a lot more than a vegetable. Uh, they can do a lot more than, than even something which is just geographically there, like some sand. But God is concerned for all of creation. God realizes that sin and its consequences has turned things which are naturally innocent into things which are now corrupt. And even though we don't typically ascribe moral responsibility to animals, we tend to only reserve that for those which have been domesticated and held to higher moral standards than those which are out being feral, we still see in this text that it really doesn't matter. Because the sin is so great, this endless imagination of sin, sin which has no bounds, it has grown to the level which it is corrupting all things. And Genesis reminds us of a very important fact. Sin can corrupt the innocent. Even if one does not initiate an evil act, they can, although they're a legitimate victim of such, they can become a monster if they are not careful. It's one of the things which we learn in some earlier stories we've talked about, but also we're reminded of that here. Now, Noah doesn't come and explicitly say the animals become corrupt because the sin is around there and because they weren't careful to not become a monster, they became one. But it's just built into the worldview that says, look, sin, it came, it corrupted everything. And that's how it is. Sort of like with Cain and Abel, there's something crouching at the door. If you're not careful, you've got to rule over it. Well, people did not make sure to rule over sin, and now it came to rule over everything. That's where we find this text. And that's not a good place to be because it's put the world on a place where it's headed towards total destruction, total annihilation, and that's very bad. And we know in our own world how true this is. Often we find that children who are victims of certain types of abuse or they live around certain crime and it therefore it affects their, their development, they often grow into adults who perpetuate the same crimes that they were victims of. This is very contrary to anything we might assume. We might assume that if someone is a victim to something that they would be disinclined to emulate such offenses. But basic observation will tell us that actually being exposed to certain things is a risk factor for doing it yourself. Very often evil reproduces by turning victims into perpetrators. It's terrible. It's wicked. It is a reminder of how much sin can taint the world. Even those who are just bystanders in it, if they don't become perpetuators of it, they might just be so corrupted that they no longer can interact with the world correctly. Animal life and all of creation is set towards destruction, and there is endless decay for the world. And it's reaching up, it's rising, it's reaching even for the heavens, and God is displeased. For God's design for creation is one of order. Moreover, God does not want mere moral order for humanity that stops there, but he desires instead that all of creation will return to the holy state he designed it for. God desires redemption for all of creation, and this includes animals and the less, as less conscious aspects of creation. God wants to redeem all. There is any hope for redemption, we find it with God. Which brings us to the, to the other point we brought up today. Do dogs go to heaven? I don't know if Anthony's ever had someone ask him this question, but it's an interesting debate. You always see pictures online where churches, different denominations, people will split. They'll get into to war. 
online. I, I like the memes where they had the two churches. I don't remember what denominations they were, but one of them was like, our dogs go to heaven. And the other one's like, dogs don't have souls. And on their, their marquees outside the church, they had this long discourse. Do you remember that? I think we had saw that. I do not remember that, but that sounds um, pretty intense. Well, it's, it's a serious question that people have. Do dogs go to heaven? Um, and even myself is my little dog, Charlie, he's got older, he's got bad arthritis, which he was old when I, I got him. Um, and that's been several years now, but Charlie, you know, he, you get older and you wonder, you know, this, this creature, which is a great friend and, you know, dogs really are a man's best friend. Um, that just kind of how it is. They're great. They're happy to see you. They're, they're, they're wonderful little creatures, though they can act out. I mean, sin does into the world and even dogs can do things which are, are bad. Um, but you come to the question, with, how does God relate to, to dogs? Are they guilty of sin? You know, we hold dogs typically as the domesticated to certain standards. You know, they, they can understand when they've done something bad. But where do they actually fit in? Sin can corrupt the world, and it can corrupt even things which are not direct perpetrators of it. But how does God want to redeem them? We know from this text in Genesis that God is displeased that all flesh has been corrupted. And we know that God wants to redeem all of creation. But the consequences of sin are very expensive. God's redemption is very expensive because God is a God of order and God does not break his own laws and his own rules in order to redeem those trapped by sin. But instead, God makes very costly sacrifices. He endures pain and suffering to give new life to his world. Ultimately, when we see the ultimate act of redemption, it comes through Christ Jesus, the begotten Son of God, dying. God doesn't break his own rules. But yet, when we see in Genesis 6, the world has fallen. And God is going to make a costly decision to cut off this world from an endless decay. And he does something which kind of has a controlled cleansing. But animal life is one of those things which is in there. God does want it to be redeemed. He doesn't want this perpetual decay for it. Anthony, do you have any thoughts on, on how that relates to this text? Uh, the question of... Of this... God wanting redemption for animal life. And really, how that relates to the question of do all dogs go to heaven, as the, the movie suggests. Well, I think God certainly blesses um, all of his creation. As for whether or not uh, you know all dogs go for heaven, I can't speak for that. But I'll say that I do believe that God loves and cares for his creation. And here in the story of Noah, you can, you can see that he is redeeming animal life as well. Yeah, and he's, he's pained when animal life is corrupted. God is pained when animal life is trapped by endless decay. So that's just food for thought. It doesn't totally answer the question, but it does put us in the right direction for answering this. Yeah, I believe so as well. Well, as we wrap things up, really the main takeaway for this is that humanity is already on the course for destruction. And again, it's reminiscent of the void where there's these chaotic waters. But in this case, it's a, a controlled cleansing. But God is looking at the world and he says, there's not even anything else that they will consider. They won't even consider anything other than sin. So they're going to be destroyed and the whole world is and it's reaching up towards heaven and it's going to be bad. This decay which is set in motion. So God makes this move to have a controlled cleansing and he builds an ark, literally. The ark is a life raft. It is. It has some cosmic implications because God is trying to reestablish the order of, of heaven and earth here. But it is a life raft where God is displeased with the effects of sin in the world. Any final thoughts, Anthony, before we close? I'm going to take that as a no. <laughs> Sorry about that. I couldn't get it to switch screens. No. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, computers are, are interesting. Well, anyways, with that, we hope that you enjoyed this. We are Kingdom of the Lagos. We are clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And if you have any thoughts, questions, or comments, please reach out to us. We'll be talking more about Noah in the coming weeks, but we're going to wrap it up a little bit quicker than we did Cain and Abel and quicker than we did Adam and Eve. So any thoughts, questions, or comments, please send them our way. Anthony? Uh, actually, yeah. I would just like to say um, one of my friends just posted a comment saying that he needed some prayer for um, something that he's facing in life. So I just wanted to let you know, Hudson, uh, we will be praying for you here. Amen to that. And with that, if all hearts and minds are clear, if any other comments come in, we'll respond to them. Um, God love you and have a blessed day.